Welcome to the Sky Pilot Podcast that explores questions of faith, spirituality, and religion. I'm Dan Matthews, and I don't have all the answers, but I do enjoy the questions. Welcome to the podcast where every question is an invitation into a spiritual quest, and you're invited along for the journey. Why did God tell Abraham to kill his son? This is the first episode in a series, of which I will be doing more in the future, where I'm going to take puzzling or troubling passages of Scripture and see what they have to say to us today. At the beginning of the 22nd chapter of Genesis, there is perhaps the most troubling passage in all of Scripture. It begins with God speaking to Abraham. Abraham, he says, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, And go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Is there anything more awful than God asking a parent to sacrifice their child? But wait, it gets worse. Abraham and Sarah were the classic couple struggling with infertility, so they didn't even get pregnant with Isaac until later in life, and I mean really later in life. Think in terms of their being 90 years old. So this child held a truly special place in their hearts. Let's take a look at this troubling story of Abraham and Isaac, potentially subtitled Why Isaac Doesn't Go Camping in the Mountains with His Dad Anymore. But rather than approach it in the traditional Bible study format of working our way through it one line at a time or word by word, I'm going to try my hand at retelling it and see if it can reveal something new for us today. So, admittedly taking some artistic license with this passage, here we go. Abraham and Sarah were the perfect couple, the envy of all their neighbors absolutely successful and happy. They grew in their love for each other every day. They had deep and meaningful relationship with God, and they wanted for nothing. They were financially successful beyond the imagination of almost anyone. Years ago, Abraham and Sarah had moved into town with very few possessions, and then, little by little, their worldly possessions began to grow. Abraham had managed to see his property, home, wealth, grow beyond his wildest dreams. Abraham was also faithful in prayer. He said his prayers every night before going to bed, and for much of his life it was not unusual during that prayer time for God to speak back to him. As Abraham began to pray, the room would suddenly feel different, and there would be a wonderful light that filled the room but didn't seem to come from any place in particular. That was how they'd come to live where they did now. God had told them in one of those prayerful conversations to move. Abraham and Sarah took delight in all that God had given them. But they had also eventually come to believe that they would never have children. Then one day, God spoke to Abraham. God told him that they would finally have a child. Abraham will admit, even to this day, that he laughed. And it was not a laugh of joy, but a laugh right in the face of God. He loved his wife dearly, and he certainly thought the world of her, but Sarah was so far past any ability to bear a child that he couldn't help himself from laughing. But God seemed unfazed. 
he continued to tell Abraham that they would have a son. And sure enough, nine months later, Sarah gave birth to their son, Isaac. It seemed only appropriate that they name the child Isaac, which means laughter. He was the delight of their eyes. Everything they had amassed, everything they had enjoyed up until that point, it all paled in comparison to the joy and the delight they found in the gift of this life that God had given them. For a while, they never even said Isaac's name without adding a little phrase like, praise the Lord or our blessed gift. And with Isaac's first step, they praised the child and later that night gave thanks to God. On Isaac's first and second birthday, they took him up front at church for a blessing, as was their custom. Isaac continued to grow, and in truth, he grew like no one had ever seen. He shot up like a weed, except there was nothing weed-like about him. This boy grew better looking with every breath he took, and of course he was bright. He'd skipped a grade by the third grade, but it didn't seem to hurt because he was still amongst the brightest in his class and the largest child in his class. He started playing soccer and t-ball and football, and he was an immediate star in everything he did. Isaac was a sensation in every sport he played. He started playing competitive league soccer, and he had more goals than the next three people in the league combined. By the time he was in the fourth grade, he was dominating every sports league in the city. And when he traveled, he was the most dominant player in those cities as well. Abraham had long ago started keeping a scrapbook. It was huge, and he took it everywhere. Abraham, of course, also had pictures of Isaac that covered the walls of his office at work. And when you entered Sarah's and Abraham's house, you saw an enormous picture of Isaac that dominated their entrance hall. His awards and trophies covered the walls of their living room. But it was the scrapbook that Abraham took everywhere. Anyone who sat still for a moment had to endure the boasting of a proud father. When he was first born, they had him baptized and they took him to church every single Sunday. They could not thank God enough for the gift of this remarkable child. Then as he got older... They began to find themselves busy. They were traveling with sports teams, and frequently they found themselves away on Sunday, so they were unable to go to church. Then activities finally kept the whole family so busy that they were almost never in town to go to church. And when they were, they decided that Isaac needed rest more than he needed to go to church services. So it was only on the occasional high feast day that the family even made it to church anymore. It was strange, Abraham realized. He used to be so close to God. He used to speak to him all the time. Abraham did stop to wonder in the quiet few moments that he had why God didn't seem to speak to him anymore. Then one evening, Abraham found himself alone in his room And a small light began to shine in the middle of the room. And Abraham recognized that he was about to hear from God. When God spoke, he told Abraham to take Isaac and go to the top of Summit Point and overlook with a view of the city that sat on the edge of a deep ravine just outside of town. Abraham expected some kind of explanation, but he got none. 
So he took Isaac and placed him in the back seat of the car. He pulled the car out of the driveway and headed out of town. Isaac fell asleep almost immediately. As Abraham drove up the side of the mountain, God began to speak to him. Abraham, God said, when you reach the top of the mountain, park the car, leave Isaac in the car, and go to the edge of the overlook. Abraham was more than a little confused, but he followed God's directions. And when Abraham got to the edge of the view, God spoke to him once again. Abraham, this night I demand from you the life of your son. When Isaac awakens, he will come to you, and when he approaches you, you will throw him over the edge of the bluff. Abraham could barely breathe. His heart pounded in his chest. His hands shook. His knees were weak. And suddenly, the world that had been so perfect was coming undone. He looked down and saw that he held his son's scrapbook. It really wasn't surprising. It was second nature for him to take it every time he got out of the car. Abraham sat down in the dirt, clutching Isaac's scrapbook as tears ran down his face, and he looked at each page of the boy's remarkable achievements. There was soccer and football. There was tennis and golf. There was baseball and even piano. He had excelled at everything, and they'd made sure that he had known every possible opportunity. As he sat with a heavy heart, thinking about the horrible thing that God was asking him to do, he began to notice a trend in his son's scrapbook. There were, there were no pictures of his son in church. There were no pictures of his son in children's choir. There were no awards for his son's achievements in Sunday school because, well, because those things had always taken a backseat to the worldly achievements that the son could do. Suddenly, he realized that he had dedicated his son's life to worldly achievements, but he had never given his son the greatest gift of his life back to the giver of the gift. He'd fallen so deeply in love with the gift that he had lost sight of the giver. And in doing so, he'd squandered the gift. Just at that moment, he heard the car door slam and he heard Isaac's voice calling, Dad? Abraham stood up as he watched his son walk towards him. As his son approached, the boy put his hand in his father's hand and suddenly in that moment, Abraham knew what he must do and he tightened his grip and with all his might, he threw the scrapbook over the edge. You and I live in a world that is so different from Abraham's and Sarah's and Isaac's world. And yet, in so many ways, it is exactly like their world. We live in a world that was created for us out of love by our Creator. We live in a world which surrounds us with an abundance of gifts that we enjoy every day. And we live in a world in which you and I, all too often, like Abraham in the story, forget the giver of those gifts and become all too focused 
on the receiving of the gifts. It is sad when the gift eclipses the giver. It's sad when our focus becomes so distorted that we can no longer see the world and our lives as the gifts they were created to be, but only as something that is ours to use as we see fit. It is as if, like Abraham in the story, we have ceased to hear the word of God. We have ceased to look for God's loving touch and generosity in our lives. We have clung so tightly to all we have received, we have ceased to give thanks and celebrate the generosity we have received. We are called on a spiritual path of awakening to take from all the abundance we receive in our lives and to return a portion to God in thanksgiving, not because God needs it, but because we need the practice to remind ourselves to keep our focus on God from whom all blessings flow. That's all for today. On your spiritual journey, may you ask questions, seek answers, and boldly go wherever the quest takes you. Please feel free to get in touch with me through email or follow me on Twitter. Just remember that both are SkyPilot with three T's, S-K-Y-P-I-L-O-T-T-T. My email is skypilot at gmail.com and Twitter is at skypilot. Thanks for listening to SkyPilot FaithQuest. I invite you to send me a question or leave a review. And remember, the sign of a strong faith, solid religion, or healthy spiritual journey is not certainty, but that you keep asking questions. <laughs>